It is great to be with you all here today. Um, I really do believe that God has a word for you. Um, before we jump into this, though, here's what I want to do. Something just a little bit different to kick this off. Um, right now, I want you to think of a really good friend. Just one. One really good friend. Off the top of your mind, could be anybody. First person that comes to your mind. I want you to imagine their face. Think about them for just a second. All right, now what I want to do is I want to pray for that person. I want you to pray for that person with me. So let's go ahead. We're going to do something. I'm going to do something here. This will be good. It'll be good. We're going to spread a little hope. Um, let's pray for that person. So right now, with that individual in mind, let's go to the Lord. God, I love you. I thank you so much for your grace. I pray that you be with us today in this message. And I want to lift up to you the individual that the person on the other side, uh, man, of this screen is thinking about, whoever it is, a good friend, a best friend, somebody that they, uh, man, have confidence in, that they believe in, that lifts them up. Uh, God, we want to pray for that individual right now. In fact, right now, if you're that person thinking of the individual, I want you right now in your mind just to repeat these words quietly to yourself about your good friend. Father, I pray that you would give and name that person in your mind. Give that person hope. Lord, I'm grateful in the name of that person. I'm grateful for them. Lord, I pray that they would know that you love them today. In your name, amen. All right, now here's what I want you to do, just something a little different. I want you to grab your phones, because the truth is most of you have them out, um, what we're preaching anyways, right? Because you know, you're reading scripture the whole time, at least you should be. But pull your phone out real quick, if you would. And uh, what I want you to do is I just want you to text that individual. So that person that you were thinking about, I just want you to pull your phone out and write him a quick text message, right? So just pull it out and just write him something like this. I want you to say something like, hey, I'm grateful for your friendship. Know I prayed for you today. A text that simple. I'm grateful for your friendship. Know I prayed for you today. And send that text right now. Go for it. I'll even give you a second. Pull your phone out. That's right. And I want you to type that name in there, that good friend you just prayed for. Just say, I'm grateful for your friendship. No, I prayed for you today. Let's spread some hope. All right, so you should be finishing that up now. Um, I do, man. I love it. I mean, I'm praying that, you know, as this message is watched a few thousand times, that, that we would spread hope to thousands even more. Let's be agents of hope. Agents, man, that bring hope into a world that desperately needs it right now. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the message. I uh, love that you all are with me. It's a good little practice that we can do, just learning to practice being an encourager. Uh, we are in a series called But God. Um, and when you look through history, history is full of all of these moments where it feels like all is lost, and then all of a sudden God steps in and does something miraculous. Because the reality is, we've been saying this the last few weeks, we've been sharing stories, God loves to show off his love. He absolutely loves to show off his love. And it's imperative that we live in a world, especially one that's fallen and broken, where we are constantly maximizing love, what love is, what love looks like, and then making it grow bigger and bigger in our world. And God loves to do that even himself. So week number one, we basically asked the question, how do you wait well? And we went all the way back and we stood on the bank of the Red Sea with the people of God as they were coming out of Egypt, the exodus out of Egypt. And we put ourselves in that moment surrounded by what looks like death, a sea in front of us, you know, a military behind us to take us out, right? And a desert on the other side. Where do we go? And when we're in those places where there is nothing that we can really do tactically, how does one wait well? We talked about that week one while we're waiting on God. 
The second week, last week, we talked about this, the importance of having a really strong private life. What does it mean to spend time before the Lord in prayer and why is it so important? And we went to the story of David and Goliath and we imagined it in our minds. You can go back online and watch these at EncounterTrinity.com. Last week we talked about David, you know, cresting the hill, seeing Goliath on the other side of the valley, making fun of the Israelites. And in that moment, the crazy, amazing spiritual courage that David had, that courage was formed when nobody else was looking. It was David Man, out in the field watching his sheep, learning to play the harp and worship God. It was David in prayer. It was David even fighting battles like the bear and the lion. It was in those places where nobody was watching that David garnered that spiritual courage that ultimately took Goliath on one day. And this week, what do we want to do this week? I want to take you to story all the way back in Babylon. We want to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We want to talk about it in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Now, a couple of things that I want to share, because the book of Daniel is a really interesting book. Um, In fact, let me say it like this. The book of Daniel is both a promise and a pattern. So it is a promise and a pattern that displays the nature of God and the nature of humans. Okay, so what are those? Well, God keeps working to restore. The nature of God is always restorative. It is always working to come after his people to display love. Even when it isn't deserved, God keeps his promises and keeps working to display love. The second thing, right, that we see the pattern of humans is people given freedom. This happens over and over and over again. We see this when they're given freedom, power, and time. What happens? They become cruel and sinful over and over and over again. We don't just need rescued financially or physically. Our hearts need rescued. And I believe that this is true even today for us. I mean, yes, it is true that some of us need rescued physically and some of us need rescued financially. Some of us need rescued in very tangible ways. But the baseline of this, man, the very core part of us that absolutely needs rescued is the posture of our heart. That is the deepest thing inside of us that is broken that needs made right. And this is true. We see this in Daniel, that pattern and that promise, the promises of God and the pattern of humanity. With this in mind, I want to go back in time. It is about 597 B.C. The Jewish people had built a fairly powerful little empire. Jehoiakim, the king of Judah at this time, was actually a pretty cruel individual. I spent some time looking up some stories on him, uh, man, some historical stuff, read through some scholars, um, some Jewish and even Christian themselves, just like traditions. And actually the most concise one that had a bunch of different ideas pulled together well was from Wikipedia. I don't usually use Wikipedia, but in this case, it was a really great one where they pulled a bunch of different pieces together and summed it up well. I'm gonna share this with you. So the king, 597 BC, the state of God's people was this. Rabbinical literature described Jehoiakim as a godless tyrant who committed atrocious sins and crimes. He is portrayed as living in incestuous relations with his mother, daughter-in-law, and stepmother, and was in a habit of murdering men whose wives he would then violate and whose property he would then seize. It is also historically believed that he was covered in tattoos. See, See, here's the thing that's important. When representatives of God become beacons of sin, it's time for God himself to step in 
and make a difference. See, because oftentimes we take these hard places in history out of context. We look at this and we go, why in the world would God allow his people to be taken over by Babylon? It's because they were not doing the very role that they were separated out to do. The representatives of God had become beacons of sin. And even for us today, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your home, with your family, are you a beacon of the love of Christ? Or are you becoming a beacon of sin with how you talk, how you display yourself, how you engage with other people, how you spend your money? how you spend your company's money. Are you a beacon of hope or have you become a beacon of sin? Because that's when it's time for God to step in. And we find the people of God in that place. So God allows Babylon basically to besiege Jerusalem and take them down. The book of Daniel is right after the Babylonian, the besieging of Jerusalem, where Babylon goes in and, and takes them over. And, and what ends up happening is they, they take in these spoils of their war. I mean, it was just a besieging, but the spoils of their war. And along with that, in fact, the primary thing that they took away was a certain group of people, the best of a lot of the people that lived in Jerusalem, the best of those Israelites, they took with them to bring back to Babylon. I want you to imagine with me what that would be like. So think about this, being taken out of your home never to return. I mean, in their minds, never to return. Imagine being taken from your home. Imagine being taken from your family. I mean, I'm sure there were mothers that were weeping. I'm sure there were sisters and brothers watching part of their family being literally taken away, probably in chains or in rope, marched off, knowing they would never see them again. I mean, it's very possible that you even saw couples separated out. I mean, never to see your wife or your husband again. I mean, this was a really hard time as the spoils of war were literally the splitting of the people in Jerusalem. I want you to imagine this, but I want you to imagine it from this perspective. Imagine losing your freedom, your identity, and ultimately even your name. Because remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those were not their Jewish names. Those were the names that the Babylonians gave them. They were losing everything when they were being taken away. But think of it this way. They were losing everything because of someone else's sin. A lot of these people, as we're going to read, were actually godly men. They were really, truly trying to honor the Lord. It wasn't their sin directly. It was the sin of other people that caused them to suffer. See, you have to remember the sins that you do, those things that, those, those little broken pieces that you choose, to, you allow to be in your life, they do not hurt just you. Your sin also hurts others. There is awful collateral damage with sinful life. So, as the young godly men were being removed from God's promised land. I mean, remember the historical stories, right? I mean, this was the promised land, the place where, where God's people were supposed to be as these young godly men were being removed from God's promised land. They didn't realize that the promises of God were going with them. In fact, this whole idea of the promises of God going with them into the hardship is going to be the rhythm of this whole message. Because here's the beautiful thing, God, loves to show off his love for his people even when they're in really hard places even when they're guilty god loves to show off his love for his people there are there are a number of amazing stories in this book and we don't have time to go into all of them obviously i want to just lock into one so as you're reading through the book of daniel you'll come across daniel 3 
you find yourself actually standing in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So these men have been captured. They have been stripped of all their past identity, right? They're having to learn a new language. Um, they're, they're even, they even lost their names. They were given new Babylonian names. Their whole identity is in the process of being taken away from them. And then in the plain of Dura, they're all lined up together. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has built a huge idol of gold, and he draws these young Jewish men with these new Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He pulls them in, and he tells them, I want you to bow to this idol. Now, it's really important that we do a little historical research and then even interpreting it for our today's day and age, right? So when we think of like 500 BC or 590, I think it was 597 BC, and we think about worshiping, what comes to mind is like ancient Mesopotamian worshipers, like on their knees, you know, going before God, laying their hands out prostrate before this big golden image. There's so much more to it than that. What this represented was a letting go of all of an old identity and literally a bowing down to a new way of life, bowing down to a new value system, bowing down to new preferences, bowing now, bowing down to, to new objectives in life, a new definition of what is good, a new, a new trajectory of where we're trying to aim our lives towards. It is literally accepting a new identity. That's what it represented. And the truth is, even in our modern day and age, you may not hit your knees and lay down out forward, but you absolutely bow down and worship idols today. Some of you I mean, you, the first time you take a new job and you start spending time with people, maybe you've climbed that ladder just a little bit, the socioeconomic ladder, and you start seeing all the people around you and the cars that they drive and the kind of homes that they live in. And then inside of you, something bows down to that and you think, I want that to be my end objective. That looks like a win for me. I want to embrace all of this. Man, all of us have places where they bow down to that. Um, for you, you could be in high school right now, right? And you're spending time with people that have a totally different definition of what sexuality is or means. And inside of you, you find yourself slowly beginning, you know, in the plane of Duran, in your own heart, you find yourself slowly beginning to bow down to a new definition, a new definition of right, a new definition of wrong, a new end objective of what you should be pursuing. See, even in today's day and age, we have idolatry that is very similar to the idolatry of that day. I'm telling you, man, the enemy wants you to bow down your heart to another God, another definition of right, another definition of love, another definition of what it means to win in life and do good. There's always a battle over the human heart that has to do with idolatry. So there they stand, plain and Durham. Nebuchadnezzar stands before these Jewish boys asking them in this final state of becoming fully Babylonian, bow down and embrace my definition of what is a win, what is good, what is life. And we pick this up in Daniel 3, 16 through 25, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond to this situation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18 is so important. But if not, right, if he doesn't, if God doesn't rescue them, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace heated. The flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 24, right? This is the verse we all love. We remember from Sunday school. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astounded and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast these men bound into the fire? Three men bound into the fire. They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And their appearance or the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. A couple things I want to point out from this. In the midst of the human Babylonian king showing off, the true king shows up. I love this. This is actually our worship arts team. We were talking about this scripture, brought this up. I think it was Marcus, and this is such a great observation. In the midst of the human Babylonian king showing off, the true king shows up. I love that. The second thing that I want to point out is this. Christian rebellion, or in this case, this was pre-Christ, um, sorry, Jewish, right, healthy rebellion against an evil, Christian rebellion, isn't done with weapons and hatred when you are in a society. Now, there are times in history where God did call people to go to war against a society. But when you are in a society, it's done with a heart of kindness and even submission to the consequences. Now, I want to pause on this just for a moment. We live in a day and age where rebellion is almost popular. Right? Like, we want to be conspiracy theorists, and even some of those things might be true. Who knows, right? It's all God will have to sort all this out in the end. But there is a wrong way to pursue a right thing. Let me say that again. There is absolutely a wrong way to pursue a right thing. You can defend godly values in a very ungodly way. And what we see with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all along the journey is they stay respectful. They do not go to war against these people, but they are also committed to the truths of their heart of God. They're committed to the truths of God in their heart. They will not break from this. And remember, man, in this journey, and even with you, even in our modern day and age, even in your own organization, even as we figure out this crisis that's taking place, you can pursue godly things in an ungodly way. You need to be very aware of not just the right that you are pursuing, but the way in which you pursue that right thing. The third thing that I would say is this. The but God is really powerful because it also, it is also, it is also a but if God does not. What if God does not? I think this is really important. Uh, see, we know the other side of the story, but at that time in history, at that moment, these men were standing before death. I mean, it was the end of their life. They thought they were absolutely going to be put to death. They didn't know Jesus was going to show up in the fiery furnace. I mean, actually, they talked as if they believed he would. Like, we're faithful to the end no matter what. But they weren't for sure if it was going to happen, and they still made it abundantly clear they would not let go of the ways of God, the nature of God, the heart of God, even if it costs them their life. The next thing that I would say that's really important is, how do they, or the question, 
How do they do this? How do we do this? How do we get to the point where we are so confident in the ways of God, we have sold our hearts in a right way to the truths of God, the love of God, the mechanism of God, the heart of God, that it's like, whatever comes our way, we will not let that go. How do they do this? How do we do this today? Couple things, we must remember the best life is the next life. Nothing, no person, no sickness, no poverty, no social system can steal the ultimate promises of God. Nothing, no person, no sickness, no poverty, no social system can steal the ultimate promises of God for his people. God loves to show off his love for his people. And absolutely, the greatest promises, the fact that we miss Eden and we long for heaven, absolutely, those promises cannot be taken from a believer. You can rest in the greatest truth that your greatest days are absolutely in front of you, no matter what hardship you are walking in right now. All right, so this begs a really important question. Where is Jesus in all of this? There are so many ways that he could have saved them. And, and even for me, as I think about this whole idea, like how could Jesus have saved them? I wonder why did he allow them to be taken into Babylon? Why did he allow them to stand before, I mean, their execution and even feel the nervousness of this? Why did God allow all this to happen in your life? You probably have many questions. Why, God, did you allow this to play out the way it did? Why did you make me be in this situation or allow this situation in my life? Why? I don't know all the whys. I don't know the whys back then, and I don't necessarily know the whys in your life, and I don't even know all the whys in my own life. But I do know this. He chooses, just like he did back then, he chose back then, and he even chooses today. He chose, and he chooses with you, to get in the fire with them, and he chooses to get in the fire with you. This is good news. You guys, it has always been about the incarnation. I mean, God comes to the planet forms the dust on the ground and makes humanity. You know, the Spirit hovers above the waters. God comes to us. God comes and engages with His people all the way through story after story after story after story in the Old Testament. And ultimately in the New Testament, we see on that starry night when baby Jesus was born, the incarnation, God come and walking with humanity, showing what love is, displaying it to the world. And ultimately, God will come into your hardship and your difficulties even today. I don't know why, I don't always understand the why, but I do absolutely believe that God is with his people. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for you? That's a good question. The first thing I would say is this, you are not alone. You're not alone. You need to remember you're not alone. Our God is a God who likes to be with his people. He wants to be with his people. He desires to be with his people. And he wants his people to love being with him. You are not alone. Jesus is incarnate. He comes into your situations. He is with us now in the coronavirus battle, right? He's with us now in the socioeconomic difficulties. He's with us now in the fear that you have. He's with you now in the difficulties at home. God is with you. It is the nature of our God. He is with us. The second thing I would say is you or no one, no one can steal the greatest promises of God. No one. 
in your life, no one can steal the greatest promises of God. It can't be done. No matter how poor you are, no matter how you feel like you're not intelligent or don't have capacity or can't hold down a job or struggling with anxiety or depression or physical ailment, whatever it might be, you need to know the ultimate promises of God. No nation, no power, no people group, nothing can steal the ultimate presence, uh, the ultimate promises of God for his people. You need to know that deep down in your heart, God is faithful. And the third thing I would say is this, when you feel obligated to stand against something, you must do it in a right way. When you feel obligated to stand against something, you must do it in a right way. You absolutely can stand for the right things in a wrong way. And we need to learn not just what it is that our forefathers that did life well, not just what it is they stood for, we also need to pay attention to how they stood for it. Because you can stand for things in a wrong way. I want you to know, in the seasons of waiting, like we talked about in week one, I want you to know, that learning to have a good personal life before the Lord like we talked about in week number two. And I want you to know, even in this third week, as we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we see God step in in powerful ways, but even the idea that he may not step in the way we would like him to, I want you to know God loves you and he is faithful. And he loves to show off his love for his people. And his greatest desire is your greatest good. His greatest desire is your greatest good. So I encourage you, as you lean into this season, wait well, work on your personal life and your heart, and trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. When you do this, He will make straight your paths. If you felt moved by this and God's working in your heart, I want to encourage you um, on the, if you're streaming online, on the top corner, there's a place where you can just click a response card. We want to know. I want to pray for you. Um, I loved it. I got a number of responses this last week, and it's so great to be able to see what God is doing in your heart. Share your stories with us. We want to know. Be courageous enough to speak up. We're gonna have, if you're watching on one of our live feeds on social media, we have a number of different platforms, right? We're gonna have a pastor on those platforms and, and, and respond to him, send a message. You know, if it's on Facebook, Facebook message the church. Engage with one of our pastors. We want to know your story and we wanna pray for you. If you need to accept Jesus into your life and choose him as your Lord and Savior, you've been walking on the edge too long. And as you're listening to this message, you're like, man, that's it. I have been pursuing idols and it has not been good for my heart. I want you absolutely man, to wrestle with that idea of, is God really your Lord? And if you need to make him your Lord and choose Christ in your heart, please do so and then reach out to the church. We want to help walk you through that journey. Know that you are loved and we are proud of you. We have a number of questions that you can talk about after the sermon with your family, and we'll make sure those are posted on all of the feeds where the sermon will be. Know you're loved. Have a great day.